Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome to a special episode of Business Growth on Purpose from when Jose was a guest on the Conversational Selling Podcast. He breaks down the power of systems-minded strategy. With the right strategic vision, problems are solved more efficiently and growth is unlocked. We hope you enjoy the show. Today, we are speaking with Jose Palomino, founder and CEO of ValueProp. He started ValueProp Interactive over 15 years ago because he saw business owners struggle to connect their strategy, marketing, and sales efforts. They were frustrated by a lack of efficiency and revenue growth. And as a result, to help them, he developed the Revenue Throughput System, a unique process that diagnoses the volume and velocity that a business converts opportunities into revenue. With the Revenue Throughput System, owners get a high-level view of their business, a clear game plan for growth, and explosive revenue growth. He's the author of Value Prop. He's also an adjunct professor at Villanova University and a trusted advisor and national speaker for Vistage International. So what's really jumping out to me, Jose, is explosive revenue growth. And oh, yeah, that's music to my ears for sure. So I'm so glad you can join us today, Jose. Welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure, Nancy. Happy to be here. It's my favorite topic, too. Yeah, really? <laughs> I I think a lot of us have that in common, right? So I, I want to go back to um, a statement that I made earlier, and I think it's fair to say that most business owners struggle with connecting all of the components you mentioned, strategy, m- marketing, and sales. Why is it such a struggle for most of us? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's two categories, right? So there's the owner who owns a business that's big enough to have a certain a leadership team. So let's say somebody running a manufacturing concern and they've gotten it up to like 15 million a year, something like that. They probably have a COO. They have a CFO, perhaps. They may have somebody who's called like director of marketing and maybe somebody head of sales. So now you have uh, the an owner who probably started the company a smaller, grew it unless they acquired the company. And now they have other people with ideas of what needs to happen. So they're not necessarily used to that, especially if they've been doing this for a long time, 20, 30 years running this business. So it tends to be a business where everything flows to that person. So you would think that would bring about like an integrated idea. But what yeah. actually happens is everyone else who wants to speak up doesn't speak up that well, that often. And uh, you know, certain owners don't have a style that really invites. It's almost like anyone have any other ideas that agree with mine? You know, then that's... <laughs> So (laughs) that's all too often. That's what you end up with. And so I think, I think the idea that I think also looking at it as that strategy, marketing and sales have to be looked at like dimensions of the whole intellectually. These are smart people. They know that, but they don't live in that. So they tend to think about strategy is something we might think about once a year. 
marketing something Joe or Mary's doing on that website stuff. And sales is, you know, Larry's been running sales. We have four salespeople. And, you know, Larry, Larry knows the business. He knows the stuff. He's doing right. what he's doing. So they never elevate the conversation to say, well, what if we actually started talking about these things together and thinking about how we can maybe look at the market with fresh eyes, maybe make some different assumptions rather than the same old assumptions that we've been living by. And oh, by the way, it's been three years since we've had substantial growth. We're okay, but we haven't pushed past. Why is that? And that's, I think that's part of what goes to answer your question. Yeah. So it's really looking at the whys and why not? Why can't we do this? Constantly thinking outside of the box. Would that be a simple way of putting it? I, I think so. And of course, you know, even even that thought, some people say, well, you know, I, I can't, you know, you got to you got to you got to pay for the box. You got to live in a box. You can't go completely outside the box. And there's a truth to that. And as you run the business, you run, you're limited. You're not you're not a division of Microsoft or GE that has, you know, 50 million dollars to burn. It's right. all it's all like, as they say, it's all real money right at that point. And, and, and it's yours and, and you have to keep it. But it is willing to challenge assumptions or challenge uh, orthodoxies, right? The way we've always done things. Anytime you hear that, well, that's how we have always done it. That's what our customers want. Whenever yeah. I work with a client or a firm that's in that situation and they're willing to start entertaining some other ideas. Yeah. And they tell me something like that's the way it's always been. I say, well, when's the last time we checked into that? When yeah. you know, do we do we know that's true? I mean, frankly, if you're selling to like large corporations today, like let's say you're a manufacturer and you sell to like you're part of like the aerospace ecosystem in Connecticut, well, chances are that person you used to deal with 20 years ago is retired. Yeah. And it's been replaced by a, mil a millennial who doesn't think the way that you know good old Joe used to think. It's very different. Yep. So yeah. I think wow. those adaptations. Have you really, and then even asking yourself like, you know, I wonder if the stuff we do, could we do it any better? Well, you, well, no, we're a small company. We're limited. We can't do this. We can't do that. And I say, okay, what can you do? And, and it's amazing. Once you start asking the question, what can you do? What's in your power? First right. of all, it's a very empowering question to go through as a team. And secondly, it, it allows you freedom to think about things that aren't necessarily, and then we buy another big machine because maybe that's not on the budget this year. Right. But you could certainly do things like continuous improvement. You can, you know, you can look at lean, you can improve your quality, you can improve your customer service policies. Uh, yeah. You could think about, you know, what are people calling us for all the time and like do an inventory internally and find out, gee, it seems like everybody really wants that replacement spare part right away when they need it. What if we made it a spare part subscription program? So yeah. we're going we're gonna to send it. We know every three months they're going to need that wear part. Why wait for them to call us? It's urgent. It has to be FedEx you know, across the country. And now everybody's heightened and upset as opposed to say, look, you can save 20% if you lock in this order for the next two years. Every three months you're going to get this wear part. Right. Wow. Totally changes the game, increases recurring revenue, reduces the chance that they'll call uh, they'll call, uh, you know, the local supply house to get that part. They'd rather get right. it from you if you made the original machine. That's the kind of thinking that doesn't cost a lot of money, but you do need to be willing to say, okay, let's let go of whatever we're doing and let's start thinking about what else is possible. All right. So you call yourself a strategy wonk. Why is that? 
Oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's a great question. Um, you know, it's it probably all throughout my, my career when I started out both in operations and in software development, and then eventually moved into sales roles and then sales and marketing roles and so on. I've always looked at it as an expression that it doesn't get used as often anymore, but earlier on in my career was pretty common, like cracking the code. <laughs> like, right. Like thinking about, is this something that if you'd learned that, if you could observe it, if you could reproduce it, you would actually get more consistent results over time. And so you'd always look to see who's cracked the code. Is it something unique in how they approached it? Is it, is it uh, where in the life cycle of a sales opportunity do you introduce the idea of a demo, for example, depending what you sell, whether it's software or services or something? Right. Uh, you know, just thinking about the processes that go into it. And when, you know, if you took a clean sheet of paper and talked about my sales process, and if you sell anything that's a capital good or large uh, professional service, you know, anything that runs into tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, there's actually a real process there that goes beyond I show up, I, sh I give you the contract, you sign it, and we collect checks. It's not that easy. Yeah, and, really? I mean, right, come on. It, I know. It would be <laughs> wonderful if it were. But in most cases, for you know what we call a considered purchase, it's going to require a lot of moving parts and, and a lot of different people. So thinking strategically is really saying, I'm looking for patterns because I want leverage. If I find the patterns, I can reproduce them. That doesn't mean every customer is the same, every situation is the same. Of course not. But right. it gives you kind of pattern thinking and you start realizing that everything's really connected. And I started realizing when I, uh, even 15 years ago when we started Valley Prof and what really the birth of revenue throughput was working with a colleague and mentor of mine, uh, Doug Chrisman. And we developed revenue throughput as an idea together because we started realizing that it wasn't just a sales problem. It wasn't just a marketing problem. Uh, it was sometimes a production problem. Sometimes it was a customer service problem. Sometimes it was a working capital issue that limited what a customer or what a company could do. And okay. it was a system. So I'm a strategy wonk because the reality is businesses are systems. And it appeals to me just the way my mind is wired. I tend to look at all those parts at the same time. I'm not saying it's like a beautiful mind or anything like that. It's just, right. it's just but I, I really enjoy seeing the bigger picture, taking a step back, Right. And then you start seeing movements and you say, ah, those things really flow together. That's why that's not working. I mean, you think you have a good sales team and maybe right. they are, but the reason they're good is your lead gen is so poor. They don't have many, pro uh, many proposals to work on. So they do a really good job on the few you give them. But if you amped up your lead generation, you'd find out that these guys or gals aren't doing such a great job after all. That's the kind of perspective I like to, I like to yeah. engage in and I like to share. So what I'm hearing is everybody listening out there, we all need a strategy wonk. Mm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Um, you know, you, you just started talking about rev revenue throughput. I, I really want you to share your unique idea uh, that is different and sets you apart. You might have, you know, touched on some of it, but are there any other points you want to bring out? Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, that's, that's uh, something, it's again, a favorite topic because I think it really solves the problem for a lot of, uh, not tiny companies necessarily, but smaller companies. Again, owner-led, not major corporations. And, and the reason not so much for major corporations, although the principles would work for them as well, mm -hmm. but in really big companies, you have a lot of fiefdoms. So you have the, you know, the, 
the CMO VP of marketing does not want the VP of sales telling them what's wrong with their marketing. Yeah, you got all that. the way through the chain. Yeah. So, so you can't yeah. get them all in the room really to talk together holistically, but in a company, let's say below 50 million in revenue, where you generally are in the same location, the owners, the boss, and you can get the leadership team together. This really has resonance. And what it does uh, is it's, and we, you know, the formal, thought it's the volume and velocity with which your business converts opportunities into revenue. So if you're in B2B, you have to convert opportunities. So you need to get opportunities at the front end, the top of the funnel, so to speak, but you convert them. And if it's a considered purchase, that's a multi-step process. People don't just call up, by and large, don't just call up, uh, you know, uh, American Airlines doesn't just call up a Rolls Royce to order engines on the whim. Right. Because these are like <laughs> these are big purchases. And if you make a part for the engine, they still they, they they're going to make you go through paces for that. So revenue throughput is is visualizing your business. And we like to use this one visual. It's not the only visual, but it's a good one. And visualize your business as a pipe. Opportunities come in one side of the pipe and come out the other as revenue. Simple enough, except right. there are eight valves on this pipe. And those valves could be open, in which case those opportunities flow freely, or the valve could be shut pretty tightly, in which case it stops. So let's right. say your targeting or your target market is very fuzzy. You're not sure who you really sell to. Well, whoever gives us a, whoever has a PO to give us is our target market. That's not really good target definition, for example. We would say that valve is pretty tight. And it's going to limit how many opportunities you really get. Let's say your differentiation, a second major valve, you're not sure why you're different. Essentially, your value proposition isn't sharp. You're not sure why people should buy from you other than you'd like them to buy from you, which, by the way, is not a buyer motivator. Right? It's a no. seller motivator. <laughs> uh, so that valve would be shut tight. So you have to look at then marketing and all the things that go with marketing, sales. But we also look at things like risk and leadership. Sometimes it's not that you don't have good people, but you may not have enough of them. Or you may not have them in the right positions or resources, which is, of course, the whole world of, of owner led businesses is working capital. It's like, do you have the you can have this grand strategy that we're going to be. And this is like a post pre and post COVID comment. Our grand strategy is we're going to be at every industry trade show around the world to sell our machine. Well, you know, the average trade show for like any time, type of industrial category, it's going to be fifty thousand dollars a pop. Yeah. So if you, if you have to do four of them, do you have a quarter million dollars lying around? A lot of companies like this don't. So you have yeah. to look at all of that. And so we, we really say you have to look at a balanced view of that pipe and assess whether the valves are open or closed. And if they're closed, how do you open them? And that's, you know, you get into the nitty gritties there, how you open those things. But looking at it that way, you can actually optimize your business. And sometimes it's one valve like all of them are open, but one is closed tight. Well, if you think about flow through a pipe, if you even have one valve closed tight, it doesn't matter if the other ones are wide open, you're going to get a drip. But yeah. when you fix that one valve, boom, now opportunities are flowing through the system. So How it's a fascinating process yeah. like this take. How long? When you go into a, a company, typically how long does it take until it gets fixed? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. That's a uh, Nancy. That's a little bit like how long is a piece of string. But I will tell you from experience, um, 
you know, it, 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 you get results. First of all, two things happen. If, if you really have an engaged leadership and it has to be the owner, if it's an owner led business, the owner has to be involved. If the owner says, this is my leadership team, they're going to go through the process, Jose, I'm not interested because at the end of the day, the number one kind of control of whether a business succeeds or fail in an owner led business is going to be the owner. Owner behavior is 90% of it. So if the owner's in the room really interested and really engaged, what will happen is within within probably a week or two of going through this process, they will have a really crisp understanding of where the bottlenecks are, what valves are closed. Because we go into it in quite a bit of discrete detail. Each valve has like six dimensions, and we help you measure that. We walk you through it. We walk your leadership team through it. It's not a lot, a lot. It's probably like two, two-hour sessions. We go through mm-hmm. it, and we have software that supports this and gives you a score and all that good stuff. But the main thing is you have that crisp idea. So, you know, knowledge is power, right? So knowing knowing where the blockages are, it's kind of like if, if you had all of a sudden, let's take the opposite situation. You had a, a, your basement was flooding. You'd want to know where it's coming from. That's the first right. thought. So first thing is know that. The second thing is we say you cannot fix everything all at once. So you may have out of 48 total dimensions, eight major valves, six dimensions, each 48 dimensions, you may have 12 red areas, what we call constraints. So there's 12 constraints. You say, oh, my goodness, my hair's on fire. What am I going to do? We say, okay, stop. We find the critical path because we have an algorithm that tells you of those 12, which ones are the most important ones to fix. And we advise you to work on maybe two. That's it, two. You can't do 12. You're going to do 12 half baked. You wouldn't want you to do half baked. Two. And that will probably take you about another 30 to 60 days to address those two. And therefore, within 90 days from hello to there, you will start seeing things turn around. And then you can, and it's a rinse repeat process because you may have another different line of business. So, for example, you make a machine, but you also have a machine shop. That's not atypical for smaller manufacturers. Well, the machine you sell is to one audience. Your machine shop services could be to a completely different audience. We'd measure those separately. I mean, they obviously overlap in that they use the same physical infrastructure, same capital, same leadership, but the buyer's buying for different reasons. So yeah. that's what we help you focus on. So you learn this as a skill, no different than companies learn how to do lean or continuous improvement in their manufacturing. This becomes that kind of a a platform for you to think about revenue, but in the holistic sense of your whole business. Wow. Tell me something that's true that nobody agrees with you on. Uh, That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think probably if I, and and it's, it's, um, I don't know if almost nobody would agree with me, but I, I do get pushback on this. And it's this idea of in sales, and I believe this is true. In B2B, nobody's really sold anything. Uh, I think in B2C, you can find somebody, you can sell on emotion. I mean, you can sell timeshares that way, right? You could sell right. a, 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 you know, a dress or a pair of shoes or a watch or something. People can buy on an impulse and a good salesperson can persuade somebody in that moment. Mm-hmm. But in B2B, if it's a considered purchase, there's too many eyes on something, too many people get involved. You're not going to sell anything. The best you can do is help them on their buying journey. So I would say uh, a lot of people would disagree with me, especially sale uh, people who get involved in sales and so on. That no, you can teach, you can sell. You know, you can learn to sell. And you know, at the end of the day, you really at the highest level, if you're selling big capital things, you really need are there to help 
buyers buy. And it's a, it's a, it's an inverted, you know, paradigm, but I think it's really true. And I have not seen it not be true. You're just not going to browbeat or finagle or fast talk somebody into a $200,000 machine. Right. But you're talking about high ticket items. What about smaller items? Is it the same in your opinion? When you say nobody has really sold anything, um, I think, isn't it the, the goal of any salesperson to engage in a conversation about what they need, right? So they're talking about it, right? Right. But they're engaged, and that's a great way to frame it, Nancy. They're engaged in a conversation. Ideally, they're engaged in a conversation with somebody who's actually looking for somebody to solve their problem. Yes. So if you, it depends how we define selling. And, and often, you know, people who don't do this for a living, Sometimes think of sales as like convincing somebody no. or even worse, manipulating somebody to do something <laughs> they otherwise would not want to do. Right. Um, so I'd say, yeah. no, that's, that's, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't people that are like can do Jedi mind tricks and, and also you say, oh my goodness, I bought that printer and I wasn't planning to, that can happen. But yeah. by and large, it's not really a good way to build a real portfolio. I think real success comes from, like you said, having the right kind of conversations that doesn't waste anybody's time, that gets to the heart of the matter, that reveals to that person that you have a sincere interest in understanding what their issues are, what their challenges are, and if you can't solve it, you want them to understand how you would help them. At that point, if you can't help them, then there's nothing to sell. And if you can, they're going to feel very affirmed and confident because you had a conversation that was respectful of them as intelligent, you know, agents of their own destiny, so to speak. And I think those things over time, you build long-term relationships, you build repeat business and you're right. It doesn't always have to be a six figure thing. It could be a, a, a it could be an insurance policy or, you know, it could be right. something smaller, but it's the same principle. It's like, you're thinking about this, you're looking for something and I'm going to ask you smart questions. And that's really what more than anything, what reveals your competence, I believe in a selling situation is not how much you can tell somebody about your stuff. It's your questions. People know. The quality of the questions yeah. earn trust. Oh, there right? you go. That's perfect. Yeah. I, I cannot I, believe it. We're at the end of our program and I could go on and on with you. Um, you know, let me just uh, wrap it up with a, uh, another question or two. What is the one takeaway you'd like to leave the audience with? I, I would think just uh, look at your business as an interconnected system. Uh, when we look at a person, we don't see an arm or a leg or face. You know, we see a person, a complete person. You know, right. that's your business is that it has all these parts. They all contribute to this mission. And they all serve customers and they all create value or they don't, right? And that's, that's where you have the bottlenecks. But if you can look at your business as an interconnected system and really start developing that vision for your business, you'll see opportunities to create more value for customers, to reduce costs where it might be unnecessary, and to optimize your presence in the market. You will be seen as a more valuable player as a result. Wow. Most important, how can my audience find you? Oh, that's easy. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, you just go to valueprop.com. That's uh, V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P.com. And you'll learn about us, about our system. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, there's ways on that, on that site to uh, make contact with me. I'd be happy to 
just have a conversation with anybody if they think I can help them. Wow. Um, you know, I can only say a huge thank you uh, for being on the show, Jose. Uh, this was fascinating. Thank you for all those listening in. And remember, reach out to Jose when you're ready to get things right. And I think at some point for all of us, we know that we've got to do something. He's the go-to guy. So thanks again for being on the show and make it a great sales day, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.